0: G'day! Welcome to the National Security Podcast, brought to you by the ANU National Security College, with support from PolicyForum.net. In this program, Dr. David Brewster and Rick Smith join Professor Rory Medcalf to explore what a deeper Australia-Bangladesh security relationship could and should look like. David, senior research fellow at the National Security College has authored our latest policy options paper titled New Indo-Pacific Partnership, Building Australia-Bangladesh Security Ties. And Rick, former Australian ambassador to China and Indonesia and Secretary of Defence, is the author of a compelling working paper from the college titled Forgotten Friends, Australia, India and the Independence of Bangladesh. Links to both these papers are available in the show notes. Before we get into it, we'd like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal people, traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Now let's get into it. Welcome to the National Security
1: Podcast. I'm Rory Medcalf, the head of the National Security College, and it's a particular pleasure today to welcome two guests who are going to take Australian foreign and security policy in uh, a direction that uh, I guess we don't travel as often as we should, and that is not only turning to the Indian Ocean, but looking at a partnership uh, with a nation where Australia has probably undervalued, underdeveloped its, uh, its equities over the years. That's all changing, and that country is Bangladesh. Uh, my colleagues on the program today, are Dr. David Brewster who is a senior research fellow here at the National Security College and has deep expertise not only on Indo-Pacific strategic issues but particularly on the Indian Ocean uh, and has looked at Bangladesh and a number of the other partners Australia uh, is getting more interested in in that part of the world. But I also am pleased to welcome back to the college Rick Smith. Uh, Rick Smith is a distinguished Australian Foreign and Defence Policy Official, uh, with vast expertise, uh, having been Secretary of uh, the Department of Defence, Ambassador to, I can't keep up uh, how many countries, Rick, you've been Ambassador to, but uh, China, Indonesia, uh, a number of key partnerships for Australia, a really important friend and supporter of the work we do at the National Security College and a a really uh, veteran Australian diplomat. Uh, and now, as you would call yourself, Rick, a, a, a retired citizen of this um, this, this parish of, um, of Canberra. But uh, it's great to have you both on the program. Thanks. Hmm. And I think that um, we'll start with you, David, because I want to look at the new research that you've done for the National Security College that marks not only the fact that this is actually the, the 50th year of the independence of Bangladesh, and we'll come back to that in a moment, because I know, Rick, that's something that, that resonates with, with your career. But, David, your paper published under the Policy Options Paper Series of the National Security College uh, and out now uh, in, in June 2021, your paper really challenges Australian security thinking. It, it, it looks beyond the great power politics of the Indo-Pacific. It looks beyond the United States and China. It looks beyond the, uh, the very ambitious relationship we have with India, and it puts Bangladesh on the map for Australia. Why did you write this paper, David?
2: Uh, Thanks very much, Rory. It's great uh, great to be here. Um, Look, I think the starting point is really um, understanding the Indo-Pacific as a region, as a multipolar region. So uh, in saying that, we're not just talking about um, what key powers such as the United States, China and India are doing, but there's a whole range of uh, middle powers, if you want to call them that. And that means that Australia's strategy towards the Indo-Pacific has to be uh, about engaging with all the middle powers in the Indo-Pacific just as much as um, dealing with the the big powers. And uh, the the Defence Strategic Update that came out last year really uh, focused in on this and talked about how Within the Indo-Pacific we have an immediate region which we have to be giving priority to and that uh, immediate region comes in three parts, the Pacific Islands, Southeast Asia and the Northeast Indian Ocean. And it's quite apparent um, from anyone who who follows the region that uh, we really have a, a, a bit of a gaping hole Uh, in terms of our relationships and engagement in the North East Indian Ocean. Yes, we've focused on India for for more than a decade as a key strategic partner, absolutely. But there's there's a a number of other uh, smaller countries um, in that region that we have uh, very little engagement with in uh, the security space. And when I say smaller... Uh, it's all uh, relative, right? <laughs> it's relative. I mean, Bangladesh has a population of more than 160 million people. So uh, it's, a, it's a little embarrassing to call it a smaller country, but it is certainly is smaller than, than India. And uh, it's a country that has uh, incredible uh, economic uh, success over the last 20 years, but it also comes with risks. And so it's a, it's a country that we should be seriously looking at, at, at engaging with.
1: So your paper it seems to be partly about breaking the mindset uh in in some of the world about what Bangladesh is all about these days and of course uh you know going to its history going to its um its founding its its independence during a really brutal period of history uh its it's experience with 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 poverty and with resource pressures and so forth there are there are stereotypes and myths out there about the old Bangladesh your paper really puts um Puts paid to some of those. I mean, what is this country that Australia seeks to engage? What What's in it for Australia?
2: Well, look, look, absolutely, and it's uh, had a very difficult history with its liberation in 1971, which uh, I think Rick will talk about a little bit later, and um, it has more than its fair shares uh, share of natural disasters and the like, but. The extraordinary thing when you look at Bangladesh it's, is its resilience and its economic success. And, and indeed, it's been the most uh, economically successful of any country in South Asia over the last 20 years or so. And Sorry, what,
1: what, that, again, that's a surprise to some listeners. What, what do you mean by that? Is it growth rates? Is it uh, standards?
2: Well, it's uh, over a whole range of things in, in terms of GDP growth rates. It's had... Um, uh, uh, extended um, GDP growth of more than 8% per annum for an extended period uh, up till the the COVID uh, crisis. And uh, probably even more importantly, it has among the the best social indicators of any country in South Asia in terms of women's rights, in terms of health, public health and and public education. It's really an extraordinary and um, unsung success story um, and from Australia's standpoint, um, it's following an economic development model that is very familiar to us. It's a, it's an economic development, development model that is very similar to some of the East Asian tigers that we've seen over the previous decades. And indeed, I think that there's, it's really on track to become the next big Asian economic tiger.
1: So I'm going to take us a little bit from the the here and now and the promise of the future. And I want to come back to you a bit later, David, to get some specificity around you know what should Australia do in this security relationship, but let's come back to those nuts and bolts. And I want to look at how the past connects with the present. So, Rick, this is a good moment to bring you into the conversation. Uh, and I should just note for our listeners that although we're, we're publishing a, a new paper by David Brewster... We're also taking advantage of this opportunity to, uh, if you like, uh, to revive uh, a really fantastic publication the College put out several years ago, uh, and Rick, you were the author of that. And so I want to use that as a starting point to um, take you back, if you like, to to 1971 and your paper that you wrote for us, Forgotten Friends, Australia, India and the Independence of Bangladesh, published by the National Security College in 2016, tells a story that that resonates for Australians, I think, for Australian foreign policy to this day. Uh, Rick, what was your paper about? What's the experience that that you relate in this?
3: Thanks, Rory. Yes, I was uh, in the uh, Australian High Commission in New Delhi during this time and observed uh, the end of this unusual marriage. uh, The Pakistan that was created following the partition of Greater India in 1947 comprised two wings, the west, of course, uh, Punjab, Sindh, Balochistan, the northwest frontier and so on, Uh, and uh, uh, on the other side of India, uh, Bengal, uh, all these... uh, two parties had in mind, East and West uh, all they had in common was uh, uh, the religion of Islam and uh, 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 otherwise they were just very different and West Pakistan was determined to dominate this marriage as it were. Uh, It was always uh, at risk, Uh, it was never going to be sustainable in the long term, two wings separated by thousands of kilometres of hostile India Uh, the pity is that it had to end in such tragedy and it did following an election uh, in which the leadership in west pakistan of uh, military leadership uh, of uh, d- 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 wouldn't recognize an outcome which effectively gave uh, east pakistan a majority in its parliament and so uh, out of all this there became a declaration of independence led by mujibur rahman uh, and uh, uh, a civil war into which uh, India intervened uh, uh, late in the peace after about eight months of civil war, uh, by which time some 10 million Bengalis had fled into uh, India to avoid the war. India intervened and uh, uh, secured the independence of uh, West Bengal, which then became uh, Bangladesh. And um, Australia, uh, uncharacteristically differing from the United States, from Europe, certainly from China throughout all of this, uh, uh, was sympathetic to India's position with 10 million um, uh, displaced people on their uh, borders uh, and uh, sympathetic as well to the uh, movement towards independence in Bangladesh uh, because it had seemed to us very clear from the beginning of the year that uh, uh, that this was the only way it was going to end. Uh, uh, There was a momentum towards independence that was... uh, uh not to be resisted we'd made that judgment in february eventually it was settled in december when uh, the independence of, of bangladesh was uh, achieved through uh, the in, following the indian military intervention and uh uh, Australia was one of the very first countries to recognise the newly independent state of Bangladesh uh, way out in front of, uh, of uh, Europe and uh, the United States and certainly from uh, China again. Uh, so we had a particular connection there and we were fortunate to have uh, as uh, uh, the uh, Deputy High Commissioner as he'd been and went on to become the High Commissioner, a man named Jim Allen who was a Bengali speaker, had been born in uh, in. Uh, East Bengal uh, through all that period uh, in nineteen uh, before the Second World War, in fact. And Jim was uh, well anchored in the state and a friend of Mujibur Rahman, who became the first uh, president and then prime minister. Personal connections mattered
1: in diplomacy. Then I guess they still do. But but mm. you you um, had the I guess the, the extraordinary experience of being sort of up close to a lot of this mm. uh, as a young diplomat on your on your first posting. Yes. Um, Maybe you could share a little a little insight into in, in, into that experience and what you saw that perhaps helped shape Australia's uh, policy.
3: I um, uh, we were putting out a lot of aid uh, to uh, uh, the to India to uh, help it support the uh, refugee or displaced people's camps, um, and uh, uh, I went down uh, to. Uh, Calcutta, and then up around into the northeast uh, to see how this was all working. The uh, RWF was flying in uh, housing and uh, plastic supplies to provide shelter for people, food and medicine, and so on. And uh, I was sent down there to have a look at that and see how it was going. Then I was up in Tripura, uh, a state on the border between Bangladesh, as it now is, and Burma. Uh, Population 900,000, and at that time um, in uh, late June of 1971, there were one million displaced people, so they're all living in the streets and everywhere. I went down to the border in a taxi and uh, saw what the Pakistan army was doing. It was firing shell burst mortar uh, into crowds of uh, people as they were trying to flee across the border. And uh, before my eyes two young kids, I suppose they were eight and six or seven and five or something, were struck by pieces of shrapnel and I put them um, in my taxi and uh, their parents with them and uh, they they were in a distressed state. Took them back into this hospital, which was just packed, packed with people, you know, lying, you know, foot to head um, uh, in the corridors and so on, and uh, and left them there. I, uh, I've often wondered what I, I took the pieces of shrapnel out of them. I hope that was all right medically, and have kept them. But uh, I uh, I just hope those kids survived. Um, and the remarkable thing was that. Uh, uh, this, uh, the, you know, they were there presumably through December into the war but by January they started to go back and uh, within a month or two of pa- Bangladesh's independence uh, almost all of the 10 million were back this extraordinary movement of people over a period of 12 months um, and so the new Bangladesh emerged and um, Mujib uh, had been the leader, he became the prime minister so there's so
1: much we can draw from that story, from that uh, I guess that experience that your paper recounts, Rick. and of course just for our listeners, there's a there's a uh, a really uh, detailed and I think very very comprehensive uh, version of the paper that you published with the Australian Institute of International Affairs, yes. more of a, a substantial essay. So our our short paper is kind of a, a way into that. Yep. But in terms of the big lessons for policy and for the, the interests of, of nations and so on, beyond the sort of the really confronting, I guess, human dimension that, mm. um, that, that you witnessed and experienced, I mean, this was a moment, as I read it, where Australia demonstrated what we'd like to call an independent foreign policy. Uh, we were a, an early mover. Uh, it wasn't necessarily what our American friends mm-hmm. wanted. It wasn't what our future Chinese future and perhaps past Chinese friends wanted. It was, it was something distinctly Australian. What do you think the importance of that, um, that diplomatic stance of Australia is looking, looking back?
3: Well, it was certainly important at the time. Uh, we were taking a position very different from that of the United States. We were still engaged with them, of course, in Vietnam. Uh, but we uh, uh, took a very distinct position. The United States was hostage to Pakistan because they were using Pakistan as the conduit to China and uh, the Nixon Kissinger opening up and so on. But uh, uh, we took a very different view and we made it clear to the United States that uh, we were doing that and why, and there were no repercussions. Uh, That was understood in Washington. We went about our business. Uh, What I explored uh, subsequently was why did we take a position so different from that of everyone else, and that's for another day. Uh, The second point to make, though, is that the position we took was readily acknowledged across uh, Southeast Asia in particular. And when we announced our recognition of uh, Bangladesh uh, in uh, January of uh, '72, it was widely acclaimed in the region. Uh, Australia is serious about the region, they're dealing with us on our merits, uh, and they've engaged this new state so readily. Uh, So it reflected not just what you've called uh, an independent foreign policy, but um, an engagement with the region, a prioritising of uh, the Asia, uh, Southeast Asia region uh, in uh, in our foreign policy framework. And that was welcomed in the region. Friends who were serving in Singapore and Malaysia recall uh, their host governments putting on parties for us or turning up at parties for us. Well,
1: I'd like to think it's not completely, uh, completely forgotten. And you've certainly you know, alerted us to the, um, the importance of, of that episode from Australia's diplomatic history. I know that when we published your paper, we had uh, friends and colleagues in, in Bangladesh who certainly took an interest, but in mm. India as well. Mm. Um, I think it, um, you know, it, it resounds well to Australia's profile today during this uh, extremely challenging time in our uh, foreign and security policy. And I'm not not going to draw comparisons necessarily with, with then and now, but I might I might jump forward to the present and the, and the future again, if I may. And I might turn back to David on that, and and would love your views as well in a moment, Rick. But um, David, looking at your paper. Uh, do you how do you see how do you think Bangladesh today imagines Australia as a potential partner? You know, would we be knocking on an open door if we took the steps that your paper advocates?
2: Yes, uh, ab- absolutely, we would be knocking on an open door. Um, Bangladesh, uh, as we were talking about before, has been incredibly successful over the last couple of decades in, in terms of their economic development. Um, but increasingly, they're finding themselves uh, squeezed um, between um, some of the major powers. It's obviously net right next door to India. It's very close to China. Uh, and it's very much feeling uh, the, the pressures of those that major power competition. And as a result, it's, it's really reaching out to other um, important countries in the region that it could it see could become uh, important uh, partners in, in in terms of economic engagement, political engagement, and security engagement, and uh, so I think it is very much an open open door for us. We have a lot of interests in that part of the world that are uh, both positive and negative. I've mentioned the uh, potential for economic partnership and trade and investment, but there are also risks. Um, there are risks from violent extremism, uh, from climate change, for example. So uh, uh, there's been a study showing that uh, a rise of one metre in sea levels would inundate around 17% of Bangladesh Territory, displacing perhaps more than 15 million people. So we have to be concerned about that and uh, ready to react to that if that happens. Um Importantly, we're also seeing in in Myanmar a slow slide into civil conflict. Who knows uh, where that will end, but almost certainly it will have uh, consequences for the entire region, whether it be in terms of um, people smuggling, drug smuggling, a whole lot of other potential um, uh, risks for Australia. So we have to be engaged uh, with the region we need, friends in that part of the world, friends that are happy to work with us. And I think um, that certainly uh, Bangladesh has given every indication that they're looking for a, a, a closer partnership with Australia.
1: I'll come back to some of that because the question from to my mind is still a little bit what's what's in it for Australia. Uh, but let's turn firstly to some of the more specific things, that the steps that should be taken. It's very easy to say we need better relations with country X, we need better economic relations or security relations. What, what are some of the practical steps that, that you would advocate the Australian government take in the near future?
2: Yeah. Well, look, uh, it's it's frankly, it's starting from a very low low base in terms of defence and security engagement. It's an extremely thin relationship at the moment. So there's an awful lot of low-hanging fruit that uh, can be um, grasped at a, uh, relatively low cost. So, for example, just as a starting point, we have no... Um, defence advisor on the ground there in, in Bangladesh. And this is in a country where the military plays a very significant role in public affairs. So if nothing else, we need to have um, that sort of immediate engagement um, or, or ability to engage directly with the Bangladesh um, military. But there's a whole lot of other things, again, relatively low cost. I mean, I would, I would put them in two categories Uh, One is in in terms of building personal relationships between uh, the Australian and Bangladesh military. And the other is um, assisting Bangladesh uh, build their capabilities in areas that are of particular direct interest to Australia. So we want to see Bangladesh being able to better control its own maritime spaces Uh, control population movements, uh, drug smuggling that might be happening in the region. And uh, Australia has uh, very particular expertise in that area that we can share with Bangladesh partners, again, at relatively low cost. It's not about giving them uh, or uh, donating uh, equipment or the like. It's about uh, uh, sharing expertise and building partnerships.
1: Now, the Australian Navy is not a stranger to that part of the world so much anymore. The, the Indo-Pacific Endeavour uh, Task Group was there, I think, a couple of years ago in the Bay of Bengal, uh, and, you know, one hopes to see them back there before long. But at a Navy-to-Navy level, or whether it's other uh, services, what, what specifics would you see?
2: Uh, OK, well, to start with, the, the Bangladesh military is is highly professional. Um, and um, very much is uh, comes from the um, the you know the British model, so it, there, there is a shared uh, military culture, if you like, particularly um, in the Navy, and it, there's a lot of uh, scope for um, secondments, whether it be between um, the Australian and Bangladesh military colleges. Uh, Bangladesh also has particular expertise in peacekeeping. where They're one of the largest contributors to UN peacekeeping operations throughout the world. They are really at the forefront in terms of addressing um, uh, women, peace and security issues. Uh, they're a co-sponsor of a UN um, uh, resolution regarding that. And to the extent that Australia... Um, is going to be working in the peacekeeping space in coming years. We actually have quite a lot to learn uh, from Bangladesh. But as I said, there are also uh, a number of areas that we can be uh, working with them to assist them in um, the maritime security space. And it's not just uh, the Defence Department and our military services, but there's also a lot of other Australian uh, government agencies that can be engaging, whether it be um, through in terms of um, search and rescue or uh, helping them to address port security issues or um, engagement between the, um, the AFP and their counterparts in Bangladesh. Um, as I said, it's, it's got to be a whole of government um, engagement but a targeted one as well in, in areas where we see particular direct interests.
1: But, you know, our resources are stretched thin, you'd argue, sort of a so-called middle power with this, this broad Indo-Pacific interest that, that we have trouble, if you like, servicing on our own. You know, I'd note that separately, of course, that Australia's drawing down elsewhere, Afghanistan and, and um and, and so forth. Uh, what's in it for us? I'd like to get your views on that, David. And, and then, Rick, I'd be very interested in your response on on on, on the logic of David's uh, proposal. Yeah. Uh,
2: well, as I mentioned earlier, it, the Northeast Indian Ocean is uh, an area that the Defence Strategic Update uh, said was a priority area. It's one of the three uh, elements of our immediate region, and it's the uh, the part of our immediate region where we have the least um, engagement or defence presence. Um, Part of uh, uh, Australia's uh, Indo-Pacific strategy, I suppose, has been to... um, uh remove um, uh, defence resources from uh, the Middle East and West Asia, and that includes most recently Afghanistan, and move them closer to home. And that includes applying at least a small part of that those resources into the northeast Indian Ocean. Um, in terms of uh, strategic competition, it's, it's becoming an increasingly contested uh, area between China, India and the United States. We're going to be seeing that um, in Myanmar over coming years, it's, um, as it, Myanmar becomes a bit of a battleground, I think, between some of the major powers. Um, Bangladesh is also feeling the squeeze. Um, and only a, a week or two ago, um, the, uh, the Chinese ambassador to Bangladesh really made quite an extraordinary statement an explicit threat to the Bangladesh government that it would face consequences if the Bangladesh government um, formed relationship with the the Quad countries. And that was really an extraordinary statement and really, to my mind, um, indicative of how little the Chinese Communist Party understands Bangladesh and the Bangladesh people um, because that's not something that the Bangladesh people... Having liberated themselves, uh, and you know, uh, uh, faced many natural disasters, would stand, would you know, uh, see, uh, take lying down. I think that's uh, really quite an extraordinary statement for them to make.
1: So I take it there's a context of of managing the, if you like, the power relationships in the region, managing or somehow moderating China's power and influence. That, that's partly on your mind when it comes to this proposal.
2: Yes, I, I think. Um, Really, Bangladesh and Australia are looking for, um, uh, I suppose you could call it ballast in our regional relationships. So it's not just uh, about what um, the the major powers are doing, but uh, all of the middle powers of the Indo-Pacific have uh, just as much a, a stake in the region, and I think increasingly will work together to try and mitigate some of the,
1: um, the, the, you know, the, um, the worst effects of, of strategic competition. Rick, what do you think about David's proposal? How, how would you approach this?
3: Rory, I think uh, David has done an extraordinarily good job at setting out Australia's interests in Bangladesh, both our bilateral interests and our interests uh, in uh, uh, relating to Bangladesh in terms of its uh, place in the uh, uh, geostrategic environment, Uh, and I think all of that uh, is is quite relevant. I would simply add that uh, there are economic opportunities there too. Uh, I don't know what the numbers are post-COVID or indeed how... how, uh, COVID uh, pandemic has affected Bangladesh but certainly before then uh, economic growth was impressive and the, the country was bidding to become the newest tiger to use old-fashioned language uh, and yet uh, our trade is quite uh, minimal uh, and uh, you know presumably into the future as they develop a stronger manufacturing base it'll be a, a market for resources but uh, as well it ought to be a market for agricultural produce so I would just add that footnote. That said, This is important, I think, to understand. Uh, You can't approach these relationships in a transactional way. Mm. You can't say, what's in it for us today? I I can as a podcast host, but I think I agree as a (laughs) policymaker, absolutely. Yeah, you've got to say, uh, if you want to say, uh, all right, let's put in a defence advisor, a defence attache, let's uh, invest in a defence relationship, let's have a naval visit, and two years from now, this will be markedly different. It won't be. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're in it for the very long haul. uh, And uh, uh, I think that's one of the reasons for starting now rather than postponing any longer. Uh, But it isn't to be transactional. You have to see it in that longer term uh, uh, picture. I think that uh, on the other point that uh, David sensibly raised, that is of defense resources, uh, there are two things happening there. One is post-Afghanistan uh, there are going to be uh, resources, you would hope, uh, and anyway, we've withdrawn our defence attaché, I think, from Myanmar. Uh, so there's a spare body, if you like. But on the bigger picture, since I used to say when I was Secretary in Defence, our budget then was $26 billion dollars. I used to say, with a, hundred, a workforce of 100,000 and a budget of $26 billion, we can actually do anything at all in the area of small change, and that's what this would be. So I don't think there's a resource argument against doing this. There may be a resource argument in terms of how and where you use the Navy at any one time because deploying ships to one area means they're not in another area and there are trade-offs like that. But in terms of personnel and bringing people to Australia for training, uh, I do believe we can afford that. So before we wrap up, I want to take the
1: conversation uh, a little wider on a couple of points. I want to look at the... You know the role of these, if you like, middle player partnerships in the bigger Indo-Pacific. Uh, David, you've done some work with the National Security College on a project, in fact, a project uh, supported by the Australian Defence Department, uh, the Made for Multipolarity project, where we look at you know the many potential partners for Australia, particularly in the in the Indian Ocean. Um, so I'd be interested also in looking at how you'd see, for example, Bangladesh fitting in that bigger picture, and who else is in that wider picture uh, beyond the Quad, beyond India.
2: Uh, Yeah, thanks, Roy. So really for the last uh, two years, um, the National Security College has been uh, looking at Australia's uh, strategic engagement, particularly in the Indian Ocean region, with the mind to understanding how Australia can better engage um, with a range of players, um, the, the middle powers but even some of the um, the, the, the small countries in the region um, and the Indian Ocean is an area where um, historically we haven't um, uh, had uh, strong um, defence relationships unlike say Southeast Asia or the Pacific and it's, so it's an area that we, we, we need to look at and understand who our partners are. Um, Obviously, the starting point for any of that is India, and India is and will be our key strategic partner um, in the Indian Ocean region. There's no doubt about that. But there's a whole lot of other um, important um, relationships that we need to be looking at to complement our relationship with India and provide us with alternatives as well. Um, so, for example, in Southeast Asia, we don't just have a relationship with Indonesia, as important as it is. We have a relationship with a, a range of other countries. And so, so it should be in the Indian Ocean region. So uh, other countries include um, Sri Lanka. Um, they, uh, it's another key uh, partner for for the future, but also um, some of the small island states. As small as they may be, they have their own views about their own future and they have their own desires to be engaging with countries like, uh, like Australia. So we need to see a, um, an enhanced partnership with Bangladesh uh, not only in itself, but as part of a broader engagement with a, a number of other countries within the uh, Indian Ocean region.
1: Um, I have to challenge you, though. I mean, uh, we've put a lot of effort into the relationship with India. And I think uh, all, all three of us, uh, you, you and Rick, in a, each in our way, have, um, have wanted, wanted to see that relationship flourish uh won't india find it a little strange that australia is pursuing this relationship with for example bangladesh i mean is there a risk that that will detract from what we're trying to do with india long term
2: uh well no i think i think it would be the exact opposite i think uh the uh our indian colleagues would be absolutely delighted for us to be engaging with some of the states uh, around it obviously we're going to only uh, have a, a, a tiny fraction of the resources or attention that India shows to its neighbours. So it's in no way threatening to India's engagement. But it certainly bolsters um, these relationships as uh, not only with India but also part, um, part of our broader quad relationships so these, any engagement that we have with countries like Bangladesh or, for example, Sri Lanka uh, are very much complementary um, to our uh, relationship with India and I believe would be seen in quite positive terms in Delhi.
3: How do you feel about that, Rick? I agree with that. Uh, uh, Given the scale of uh, India's relationship, engagement with Bangladesh, I think that they would understand uh, readily that anything we would do would be at the margins and not contrary to their interests in any way. Similarly, of course, China has a very big relationship with Bangladesh and they're bound to be trying to grow it. Uh, but I wouldn't see us being in a position to contest that relationship. We'll just be an additional and hopefully uh, hopefully helpful voice, a voice um, uh, uh, with a particular Australian perspective, of course, but uh, not one that's challenging anybody else in DACA helping to give them a the
1: range of alternatives,
3: I guess, a set, of, a think set of options. So. And at the same time, I've got to say, uh, we haven't touched on this, but benefiting from a Bangladesh view of the world. Now, you can take that a bit lightly, but don't, because uh, Bangladeshis, uh, Bengalis, very articulate, thoughtful people. They're well represented in world uh, academia. Um, and they have a view or a strategic outlook which is worth listening to. Uh, there they are, India, China, uh, Myanmar, they'd be worth listening to, uh, Uh, at this time, and I hope our High Commission is engaged with them at that level. A defence advisor could uh, complement that. That's really
1: useful. Before we close, I just need to ask one last sort of perhaps slightly challenging question to both of you, but I'll start with you, David, and that is really this this term values that we see a lot in our foreign policy, particularly uh, looking at at democratic partners in the Indo-Pacific, and I I guess personally would sometimes cast that a little bit differently as suggesting we need to focus on the, the principles we have in common. But the nature of democracy in Bangladesh, for example, is um, you know it's sometimes questioned the quality of democracy there. You know, you mentioned yourself the role of the role of the military. Um, so, how does your proposal sit with the values dimension of Australian diplomacy in the Indo-Pacific?
2: Uh, look, I think uh, values can be important in relationships, but it's certainly not the be all and end all. And really, the, the key driver for anything that Australia does has to be our, our interests. Um, I think our interests are quite consistent with those of Bangladesh. It's 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 a democracy. It may not be a perfect democracy, um, as um, uh, is the case with many countries in the region. But certainly, um, it's uh, it's a civilian-led government with where the military plays an important role, and that's uh, that's just uh, life as it is in our region.
3: Rick. Rory, when it comes to uh, Australian diplomacy and the conduct of our business, values rate very highly, Uh, but uh, we can't be too fussy about where and how we find our friends or the circumstances they're in. If we're going to get fussy in that area, we'll find ourselves uh, uh, with a declining group of friends in this part of the world. We could take this
1: a lot further, but I think you've put uh, an important idea on the table, David, and I think... Rick, this echoes uh, fascinatingly, I think, with with, with the the arc of your diplomatic experience, the fact that um, uh, an independent Bangladesh, that an India that is taking actions in its own interests, but that actually are in the the interests of a more multipolar region, all of this seems to have come full circle for Australia in this this challenging Indo-Pacific of the the 2020s. So it's an important paper, I think, David, that you're putting out there into the policy debate. I'm really pleased that we're able to provide a platform for it and I hope some debate uh, around it as well. I'm just wondering if either of you have got any sort of final observation before we close the program.
3: David uh, described uh, uh, the relationship with Bangladesh as a gaping hole. I I wouldn't uh, describe it as that. I would say it's a gap and a gap that we can readily fill to our benefit.
1: So there's the uh, the National Security College putting a few ideas out there in Australia's uh, foreign and strategic uh, policy engagement with the Indo-Pacific. David Brewster, Rick Smith, thank you so much for your time on the National Security Podcast, and you can find both of the papers on the National Security College website. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That's all for today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. You can find links to both David's and Rick's papers in the show notes don't forget to subscribe to the National Security Podcast and give us a rating wherever you listen. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.